This is Dave Moss of the Unfunded List, and I'm pleased to bring you the Open Door Philanthropy Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Today, I've been invited to a hip Boston co-working space to visit with my good friend Victor Bogachev. I first met Victor at the White House at an invitation-only event. At the time, Victor was a student at George Washington University. He was educated in the U.S., but comes from Russia, where his father founded one of the world's largest liquid natural gas companies, and was later forced to sell to the state for a fraction of what it was worth. But it was worth $35 billion, so a fraction of that is still a great deal. I remember during our first meeting that Victor was disappointed by the lack of philanthropy in Russia. I also remember that he was very optimistic about the future and hoped to empower and encourage future generations of Russian philanthropists. I've kept up with him over the years, and we see each other at various philanthropy-related conferences and events. Most notably, we're both fixtures at the Nexus Global and Nexus U.S. summits. Victor and I get along very well. We've drank vodka together on multiple occasions, and we even drank a little bit during this interview. I always enjoy speaking with him. Of the super wealthy young folks I know, and I know quite a few, I find Victor to be one of the more grounded, passionate, intriguing, and interesting of the bunch. While I do see him often, I've never really had the opportunity to sit down and have a proper chat with him. I'm particularly interested to hear his thoughts on international politics, philanthropy inside Russia, and his experiences as the son of a well-known Russian oligarch. (laughs) Enjoy! So I grew up in Moscow, Russia. Uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a nice place. Uh, but I grew up. Uh, I was born right at the turnover of uh, the Soviet Union in 1990. Um, 1990, you were born. 1990. I am a twin. I have a twin sister. Really? Yeah. Very smart. Much smarter. Better looking. And uh, more <laughs> charismatic than I am. But Hard we'll leave to that believe. for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I was born when we were born. Both my parents. Uh, left the government jobs during the turnover. My dad went into business for himself, into oil and gas business specifically. Uh, He grew up in the United States because my grandfather was the press secretary for the Soviet Union. In uh, Your grandfather? Yes. What was his name? Uh, Vladimir. He actually... Of course it was. He actually had an affair with uh, George O'Keefe, believe it or not. Good for him. I found that out through reading one of her (laughs) biographies. uh, Really? Surprisingly enough, yeah. But uh, my dad... We were randomly reading a Georgia O'Keeffe biography, and it was like, and then I slept with... Vladimir Actually, Vladimir. so it was... <laughs> I, I was reading, uh, it was after after my uh, grandfather passed away, because I knew a lot of his stories, but after he passed away, you know, I was just kind of... You know, people wrote obituaries, it was uh, in the AP Press, like everything, and one of the articles that I stumbled upon was like an excerpt from... Um, a biography of George O'Keefe, and that he was kind of prominently featured, and as you know, all of the artists were hanging out with the uh, with a cool Soviet journalist. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so it was, it was it was pretty interesting and very surprising to find. But um, my dad. Uh, go back. He was press. Your dad grew up in America. Yeah, my dad was in America from age uh, eight to fifteen. 
And then he had to go back to Russia because that's when it was kind of compulsory for diplomats' children to go back and finish their education in the Soviet Union. Mm. But he grew up essentially believing that American education is the best, partly because it doesn't really hold, uh, you know, the whole point is a very objective teaching students, kids to think for themselves, to have like a free mind. And even though the Soviet Union ended, my dad was very worried about like the endocrinology that will be coming from administrations and whatever may arise that he wanted us to give an opportunity. To give us an opportunity to get the American education. So, since I was twelve, my sister and I have been in boarding schools, then uh, mm-hmm. college. Where did you go to boarding school? I went to Fay School. Then I went to St. George's in Newport, yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah. Then after. I've been to Beach Number Three or whatever. Well, we're right on Beach Number Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by the campus. I guess. Yeah. It used to be actually part of St. George's campus, and then they gave it to the government for during World War Two because. Newport used to have one of the top naval bases in uh, America, and they gave it to defend, and obviously federal government can't really just give back property, so they donated it to the city. That's a very good school. Yeah, no, it, it was it was great. Unfortunately, my senior year, had to leave for uh, buying some friends alcohol, and then I went to gunnery in, uh, oh, yeah. in Litchfield, or in Washington, Connecticut, which was awesome. And then... GW after that, which was an yeah, amazing experience. Sure, yes. I yeah. believe when we met, you were at GW. I was, yeah, 2011. Talking a little bit about, uh, you said you were here since uh, 12. Yep. Uh, talking a little bit about before you were 12. Uh, before I was 12, you know, uh, it was it was a crazy time in Russia. This was when, essentially, you go from... This was in the 90s. The 90s, yeah. So it was a wild time. It was a dangerous time. There was, you know, people being shot constant fighting over the territory or business my dad was very good at what he did and you know he but you you still fall to certain like vices i mean it was essentially you go from like zero to 100 mm-hmm. in a span of year like a couple of years uh, there was extreme levels of poverty there was extreme levels of wealth there was a lot of distrust to the new regime but not wanting to go back to the old i was sheltered in part from you know the realities of the change that came to russia but at the same time you could you could see it everywhere you um, were aware of it even in, when you were in single digits i would say yes i've always been interested in politics um i was always interested in economics of change so it was kind of like always a little toddler victory even as a little toddler victory yeah, i know <laughs> actually there's a story about how uh I fell ill, and I, you know, I have a fever, so my mom calls in a doctor. In Russia, doctors arrive home. You don't have to go to the hospital. Uh, and I'm lying, and the doctor examines me, and then he, like, tells me the condition, and he's like, all right, well, Victor, do you have any questions for me? And apparently, in my feverish state, I was like, yes. What is the current dollar exchange rate? <laughs> <laughs> so... But, um. <laughs> you know, I always I always just had a dream for Russia where it's a civilized, you know, Western country with, uh, because the people have suffered for so long, mm-hmm. uh, where you're at least given the basic rights and especially, you know, the opportunity to move up to succeed where it's not this hierarchical structure where essentially, like, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Uh, did you have any sort of uh, religious education in Russia? I did. I grew up Russian Orthodox, 
uh, since abandoned. Uh, sorry, mom, if you yeah. hear this. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know when. So Russia used to be obviously uh, atheistic. Um, oh, that's right. But uh, at the turn of the century, my dad uh, and my mom both became religious. Um, one of our uh, good friends, he's Archbishop of uh, Antioch Orthodox Church. He's officially an ambassador to Russia on the behalf of the Antioch Orthodox Church. So, you know, I grew up, like, going to church and everything. Mm-hmm. But then recently, since Kirill was uh, elected patriarch of Russian Orthodox Church, and they have essentially been crowning Putin as the next emperor, mm-hmm. and there's so much corruption where it's, you know, it's the exact, like, polar opposite of what Pope Francis is doing. Mm. I was just like, well, I can't really, you know, align myself with that because. Fair enough. Uh, but that, uh, that's the like the church. Yeah. Right? And the churches can certainly be corrupt. Uh, in with your like, you know, was there any part of your religious upgrading that encouraged? I mean, you're you're very now a very generous person and interested in giving back and improving the world. What we Jews would call tikkun olam. Right? <laughs> Did you say that any of that came from your? I mean, even though you've since abandoned it, but. Um. In part, but I think it was more just uh, my mom and dad uh, and the education they provided me that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nothing comes easy in life. Uh, It takes, my mom was always very involved in trying to, uh, you know, help the orphanages in Russia or underprivileged children, especially the ones dealing with like illnesses and stuff. That kind of always just made me aware, you know, having to give up half of your toys every year to make sure that it goes to children who like so you were giving up half of she made you give up your toys oh yeah she would go she would go every every summer feel about that? well i knew the only thing she couldn't touch was my stuffed toys that i slept with yeah. but other than that i still have my same teddy bear felix oh i, I used to align i had a hierarchy of my favorite stuffed toys i had my uh, pandy and i had my goosey and then uh, everybody else it was like when i fell asleep it was like two of them on left and right and then it was based on like a hierarchy of who was the favorite to least favorite and i slept with all of that <laughs> uh terrific yeah uh but so you were uh you want an next question here is like if you do you remember your first gift would that be you giving toys to the yeah kids? That, was, uh, that was definitely it every single time and um, my mom was very good. She never, like, you know, made us give it up, but she would always, you know, show how pictures of her, you know, at the orphanage, how happy the kids were. And so we kind of wanted to to give. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was there, uh, were there, were your parents also giving money to these orphanages? Yeah, so my mom, uh, you know, she, she essentially, like, did fundraisers for them, uh, and like I'm sure we're going to talk a little later, there is no established system for philanthropy in Russia. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, in fact, most of the funds that were started in the 90s were all essentially money laundering funds. <laughs> most people... No, but your, your mother was not laundering money. No. She was just, she was just giving straight up to uh, the orphanages. She would visit, you know, she would talk to them. But even that, that was still hard because even as you're trying to collect, you know, money for them or to give them money for, you know, better better conditions for the kids you never know like the head of the orphanage might go ahead and buy themselves a new car or they like uh you never know exactly where it's going so it's instead of giving money a lot of times it's better to like okay what is your need i will buy that for you guys but and my parents also gave to money to the church a lot actually 
the Church of Christ the Savior in Moscow, the big, our big cathedral, the central square, uh, you know, has our name for uh, giving whatever amount it was. But mm -hmm. now, how aware were you of that when you were very young? I wouldn't say I was extremely aware. I, I wouldn't say I even, like, knew that it was something extraordinary or something that was being done. It was kind of... Mm -hmm. yeah, same, yeah. My grandmother was a you know, big fundraiser, and I even saw her at ceremonies with her big check yeah. and getting bricks and stuff. And I, I remember the first time I found out a friend of mine that his grandmother was not a philanthropist. It was very strange <laughs> to me. Because I assumed everybody's grandmother was... Because by then, you must have you made money, and you now you give it away. It's just what happens to everybody. Well, see, and that's a really big problem in... In Russia, is a lot of people made money not very ethically. You don't say. <laughs> and, and and when that happens, uh, it, it happens you, here. As yeah, well. but but you would try to cling <laughs> on to it because when you didn't work hard for your money, you realize that it can just as easily be taken away. Huh. And those people, that's why they spend lavishly. They uh, they they're not worried about like oh here uh, I'm giving because I earned and I know what it's like to be in tough conditions. They're more like, okay, well, let me spend it before somebody comes in to take it away. And it's tough. There's, there's, that's why, you know, philanthropy in Russia right now uh, is kind of dead. And regular people are actually the ones who are doing the most right now. Uh, for example, one of the few bright spots in Russia right now is this thing called the Heart Foundation. And it essentially, it does through TV advertisement, it has specific for you know a kid a man who can't afford like some treatment and people can just text uh, the amount that they want to send and it just goes off of their phone bill and that's been actually probably one of the most successful philanthropic drives in russia and that's mm -hmm. because people can see directly who it is going for they see like when it it's almost like one of those like telephone like uh it's so important um we're gonna take a quick five go back <laughs> so Trying to think of where we met. Nexus, right? Like the, the first Nexus. Have you been yep. to every Nexus event? In uh, the US? I've missed, I think, 2013 and maybe 2014 Global. Hmm. But on that, yeah. I think I have been to. So, but in the beginning, you were, you yep. were, so we would have probably met at the at the first Nexus, right? Yep. Or were you at the White House Summit on Next Gen yep. Leadership with Howie Buffett? Yes, I think so. All right, right on. Were you there as well, Alex? No, we have Alex Simon today running the, the recorder for us. I've told him not to say anything. If you want to say something, Alex, now you say hello. It's nice to be here, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, for, thanks for doing that, Alex. Um, so uh, the, uh, one of the things we have in common is that we've been to Nexus for a while, and every now and then someone likes to write an article about all the, all the rich kids in Nexus. Uh, and usually the first paragraph will highlight one of the attendees, and, and we have both been that person highlighted. Uh, you outdid me a little bit because you, yours was in Vanity Fair. Uh, mine in the I was in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which is nice. Behind the paywall, though, so um, <laughs> not that many, not that many people got to see it. Uh, but I, what I'm going to do right now, I hope it's not too embarrassing for you, is I'm going to read the paragraph from Vanity Fair that's about you, uh, and we can then we can talk about some of those bits. This is this is similar. This is one of the things that comes up about you first. If you want to use your name. Uh, Victor Bogachev is another attendee of the summit whose progressive values challenge the constrictions of established power. He is the son of the Russian oligarch Nikolai Bogachev, who, after securing a fortune in the energy industry, was famously forced by Russian officials to sell his business for a fraction of its value to Gazprom. Is that? Yep. Gazprom, 
a company owned primarily by the state. The controversy was a highlight in the ongoing battle for power between billionaire oligarchs and Russian government officials. But Viktor Bogachev seems relatively unfettered by the dispute. I want to one day see a democracy in Russia, he told me. I don't know if that will happen, but it's definitely something to strive for. Victor hopes to encourage newly rich entrepreneurs in Moscow and St. Petersburg to donate more of their wealth to charitable causes. In Russia, we have zero philanthropy, he says. There's a sense among elites that at any moment, instability might cause all the wealth to disappear, he explained. And some charities have been misused in the past as fronts for illegally laundered money. One of Victor's goals is to apply the format used for the conference, the, they're talking about the Nexus Summit, at the, uh, the Conference of the UN, to similar events in Russia, as difficult as that could prove initially. So this was, uh, do you, I don't know if you remember, 2010 or like... Yeah, I think it was 2011. I think it was after the first summit. So it's uh, interesting to, I'd like to check in. Uh, one, of your, one of your goals was to apply that format uh, used for the conference to similar events in Russia. And how, how is the progress <laughs> on that front? So that has actually been a very difficult thing to organize. I, we tried working with... Uh, uh, with Jonah and a couple of other like Russian attendees, which there are not many at Nexus. I don't believe I met any. Might be the only Russian I've met. I met a couple, but they're like expats who sure. live abroad. Well, I guess I could technically consider I was myself about to... <laughs> working where on my green you? card. Where are you right now? <laughs> working on my green card. <laughs> um, no, but a part of it, what has made it specifically difficult, is uh, a couple of years ago, Russia instituted. Uh, another anti-Western law, which actually forced any organization that receives, uh, has, cha- like, uh, board chairs or anything else like that, any foreign money, it designates them as a foreign agent. So, in fact, you have to say, so if it was Nexus, it would be, like, foreign agent Nexus uh, organization in Russia. Mm-hmm. If you receive, even it, like, even for, and that extends to philanthropic organizations as well, like, you can't go and fundraise money for a hospital in Russia abroad because then you have to be labeled foreign as a agent. foreign agent. Emergency room. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's almost like a you the know, foreign agent veterinary hospital. It makes you sound like a spy organization. It, it does sound very nefarious, and all it means is that you're from another country. Yeah, I mean, they, they were they were honestly trying to target a lot of nonprofits that were working specifically to build like a democracy, even the you know the famous Levada Center, mm-hmm. uh, places that receive funding from. Maybe, like, private individuals, might be, uh, like, government-sponsored organizations, like, from abroad trying to establish a presence in Russia. And that was their goal, is essentially to be like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. you know, they're they're not here for you, they're representing foreign interests. And to be fair, there are are definitely a number of of American... Well-being nonprofits that are trying to influence Russia. Of course, but that, that that's everywhere. I mean, there's a ton of American nonprofits trying to influence America. There's, there's, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's usually Lots driven by American people who blank trying to influence whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it made it extremely, extremely difficult. And right now, there there's a a couple organizations in Russia that receive financial support from the elites, and most of them concern the changing the government, like uh, Alexei Navalny, who is uh, the head of Foundation Against Corruption in Russia. Uh, He's the prominent uh, opposition. He was the first one who started, like, looking into the finances of every state corporation and being like, where the hell is this money going? Like, what is happening here? He's been in jail multiple times. How many times has this guy been arrested? He's actually currently running for president against Putin. They're saying that even if he gets 15% of the vote, that would be a victory for... Everybody in Russia. Fifteen percent. Fifteen percent, yeah. 
But uh, if most people, when they try to give, they give to this right now. They they will give to funds that defend uh, that allow for lawyers to defend anybody who's arrested at meetings or protests. You know, uh, Navalny's anti-corruption fund. Some campaigns, but in limited sense. Everybody just say it's a, there's there's a very little culture and awareness of what you can give to and where you won't like get flagged at for to really try to encourage that movement, you know, and that's and that's with people who are who have not left Russia to go abroad because to be, in order for this to happen, they need to be Russian nationals contributing to a like to a Russian entity. There can't be it really can't be in no. Is there any like and like so? I know, so for instance, India has a, a, a lot of regulation about that. Yeah, it t- and it takes basically it just takes a very long time to set it up. But there are a number of like entities that can allow that. Are there anything like inside? Like, there's no way for me to contribute to uh, what is it called? Heart Foundation. Heart or, Foundation. Or foundation for corruption. Uh, well, actually, so the the foundation against uh, corruption is it does have several like American donors, it's and it. it and that's part of the ones that they wanted to label as foreign agent yeah. to be like, oh, this is. I, I think they they have tried to limit their contributions from abroad to, um, huh. you know, because of uh, the moniker and extra investigations from, you know, the Russian version version of IRS and whatever it is. But it, yeah, normally you can't just go and be like, oh, well, I want to write a check to this organization. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't be like, even if you're trying to say build a hospital in Russia. Even if you were living in Russia and you're an expat living in Russia, unless you have a citizenship and you donate X amount of money, technically you're designated as a foreign mm. a foreigner giving money, thus trying to influence Russia with foreign views and whatever it is. Yeah, my Western nonsense. Yeah, the Western. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there like uh, 501c3s or any of that sort of structure around giving there? Uh, there are. I mean... Uh, do you get a tax deduction? No, you you don't get. Uh, there it was a program for tax deductions uh, that lasted. Uh, actually, like I said, I just spoke with Dad on the phone about it. It lasted for like two years, but it was mm. ineffective because most people were either trying to take advantage of the program, or they were so mistrustful of the organizations that they could donate to mm. uh, that the regular people just didn't do it. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there uh, is uh, is there enough uh, wealth in Russia uh, for for these things to be successful? Like, can they raise enough money from inside Russia? Uh, You're talking about 15% of the vote being like yeah. the big hairy audacious goal, which, I, I mean, I hope it happens, but it, it will mean that he doesn't become president. Correct? Oh no, yeah. But I think <laughs> it will cause enough correct? to make people believe that it is possible. And then maybe more would donate in the future? Yeah, and it's also just more people being outspoken about their views. We still have that old Stalinistic mentality where, you know, they, they used to call them uh, kitchen dialogues, right? Because the only where the only place where you could speak freely was usually at night in the kitchen with a radio playing on loud, so whether there's bugs or anybody around you, you can't hear. Mm. Like, people used to tell on each other. They used to... Uh, uh, there, There's this building on um, in Russia on the river which used to be apartments for, you know, uh, high up like politicians or like uh, politicians from the regions who are coming into Moscow. And during the worst of Stalinistic purges, literally you could go, you people would go in the morning and ask the, uh, the doorman, like, who was taken last night? 
and that's because you could you could be like oh well the portrait of stalin is not hanging quite straight in their in their apartment and they would get it taken in for questioning during that time really yeah for a crooked stalin picture yeah Huh. And people people made it up like uh, they would uh, they would go and they're like oh well I'm competing for a promotion with this guy his Stalin pictures crooked yeah or you would say I heard him talking something and the thing is they would Terrible. take them in they, it was like kind of like V for vendetta type which is what it is also <laughs> returning to in a way like but uh, you know they they would take them in and they would uh, torture them enough until they get a confession. And it didn't matter, did the per- he might have been, like, a loyalist. Most of those, especially in that building, were all, like, party loyalists, all trying to move up. It was just damn he kind of... He them enough to make them. Yeah, lose. of course. Uh, not that I have been tortured, but this is what I understand. Um, amazing. So, uh, so uh, uh, you ended up at GW, because yep. you, you, you were interested in politics and international uh, government stuff. So yep. that's the right place to, to be. Did you like it there? Oh, I loved it. It was nice. amazing four years of my life. Yeah. Uh, made some fantastic friends who I consider family, you know, to this day. Still in touch with them? Yep. Some of them live up here in Boston? You hang uh, guys only a couple of them live in Boston. Uh, most of them are either in New York or uh, still in D.C. Right on. Uh, if I remember correct, uh, you were either, you were involved with the college Republicans. Yep. Uh, I think one of the first things you told me that was that you were very interested in conservative politics. I, it's one of the first things I remember you telling me. Uh, is that so you're still a Republican? <laughs> well, as you know, right now, I think the term Republican is... different is... than when you, I will admit, that it is a very different term now <laughs> yeah. than when you told me that. So, for me, it is... Uh, what, the reason why I loved uh, the Republican ideology, and that's the reason why I love America, and despite all the hardships with immigration, I want to stay here and, uh, you know, continue to also be impactful in this country, is that, to me, what being a Republican was, you believe in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Uh, obviously, I think a part of fiscal economics uh, was mm-hmm. more appealing to me over Democratic. First, I used to be a little more socially conservative, that has changed a lot, uh, you know, since 2011 or whatever it is. Um, yeah. I would probably be more of a, would consider myself more of a libertarian, except I do see a need for a central government and, uh, you know, uh, in certain affairs. And also I'm a globalist. I, I don't believe in borders. I think the... You're admitting you're, you're, admitting you're a globalist. Good for you. Well, <laughs> that was another thing. I hate that it has now become like almost yeah, like a no, bad it's, term. It's a bad word. They're like, oh, it's the elites who are planning like uh, against us, which is. Well, I, I don't. Uh, I don't want to harp on politics too much, but recently someone said to me like, as bad as Trump is, we avoided a real globalist nightmare in Hillary Clinton. I'm like, what is wrong with you, sir? <laughs> oh. I don't, uh, so uh, you know, enough, I think I. Uh, I tend to. I don't think Democrats have all the answer, and uh, I think anybody can take a, a cursory glance at my Facebook wall, and you think I'm like. The, Johnny Democrat, right? Uh, but that's really just because of the, what's currently of course, happening. Of course. Uh, I did the first person I ever voted for was Olympia Snow, uh, my senator from a yep. Republican senator who has left the Republican Party because. Uh, Her and King are both independent now, right? Uh, King's been, I think he's been independent the whole time. He was my governor when I was in high school. Yeah. And he's just been awesome the last couple of weeks. And he was always awesome. He, in between the two hearings where he kicked butt, he went up to Maine to go to this little island called Islesboro. Because there was a high school graduation, seven kids graduated, and he went up there to be the, oh, to be the commencement speaker. 
And he had, that was in between, like, two of the most important intelligence hearings ever. But you know what's important? Those seven kids are graduating yeah. from high school, too. And that they also know that this is... And their senator cares about it. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I just... Uh, Where you feel included and not just like, oh, this is some distant person who no. goes to... But I've been to Islesboro. It's not easy to get out there. People all fair ride, and there's a long ride out to get to the dock. Um, beautiful, though, once you... <laughs> yeah. Once you're there, it's, it's As is much of Maine. Mm-hmm. Well, there are parts that are not beautiful. If you're looking for the ugly part of Maine, I suggest Rumford. If you've never been to Rumford, it is horrible, and there's a wood pulp plant there that smell is the worst smell of all time. <laughs> it's not like the nice mulch pine uh, pine trees. No, no, God, it's so it's all, I can smell it now, and it's really funny. The smell and memory is um, very uh, uniquely tied. Um, so you know, I think um, you know that's one of the, one of the bigger challenges for you know for Republicans is to get back to the stuff that you were interested in that made you involved in the college Republicans and the stuff that made me vote for Olympia. I mean, she was a very good senator yeah. for us and she had principles and integrity and it's a thing that used to exist with them. And uh, I hope, I hope they get back there. I, I think these people are for the most part, probably fundamentally decent. Just they, they have to put on the show turns. for, uh, some wrong turns and, and listen to some wrong consultants. I'm not even really sure at this point, but a lot of the, the, the media has become so polarizing as well. It seems like, the more FaceTime they get, the more they try to, like, essentially stick to the fundamentalist, like, uh, rhetoric on both sides. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, where's the the middle? The whole point of you guys is coming to compromises. That's what this nation is founded on. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, certainly. The uh, So do, are you able to, uh, is it, I'm not even sure what the laws are, can you contribute to political causes? I can't. I can volunteer my time. I can, uh, um... You know, obviously attend uh, fundraisers, uh, but it has to be at somebody else's, you know, expense. I technically can't um, can't donate anything to federal or local campaigns. I believe. Interesting. Um, I can host fundraisers as yeah. long as. Well, I was going to in uh, 2016 for Jeb, but uh, that didn't pan out. Didn't seem like. I don't think more money is what needed is what he needed. No, no. Uh, but, I, I wish that had gone better. <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> so I was uh, looking up, um, you know, some other Bogachev stuff, and I found something. I couldn't find a lot more information on it. Uh, the Young Energy Prize. Young Energy Prize. That was uh, my dad's uh, firm that was out of uh, Luxembourg, which mostly fos- it. That was after the ordeal with Gazprom. Uh, yeah, as far as the, chronologically, it seemed like it was right after. The yeah, so he founded uh, his own investment firm because he didn't want to have to rely on investors for uh, his company dealings. It was a, it was like his own private equity fund. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a, a prize, or is that just part of the name? No, that was just part of the name. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of liked the idea. I was just I was imagining this like. For young people interested in energy, there's like a prize for your pay. That's not what it is at all. No, no. That would be cool if that existed. That would that would be cool. Which, so, although, but he was investing in energy. In energy, right? yeah. In, in possibly young people or like younger something young about it. Uh, so no, so the part of it why it was young energy was because he was trying to specifically invest in regions that were not like covered, you know, by traditional like. Uh, energy investments so a lot of his was uh, like uh, looking at west africa like uh offshores there um for him you know when he looks so he's 
when he when he looks at the way that uh, modern like IOCs, the international oil corporations operate, what they usually do, despite building you know like a, a compound here and there, and then like maybe giving the proceeds to the country, they usually just kind of like suck it out, hire all of their own guys from abroad, and then leave. And for him, the whole point is well. You know, if you if you're establishing a company there, you should be saying, okay, instead of like say instead of giving you this money from like the oil wealth, we go and we send like this many people to school to become engineers or to become like uh, management technician, like manager technicians for the plant to hire like everybody essentially to be native to where they work, where the uh, oil is derived from, and in, instead of just being like, oh, here. Here's ten million to this guy. Here's ten million to this guy. They buy themselves yachts, you know, uh, huh. cars, and send their wives on shopping sprees in Paris. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that would have much impact. No. Uh, so that you, it's not there's no more young energy price. No, right now he's a he's just uh, liquidated some of his assets, so he's trying to determine you know what's next, what's the mm-hmm. the future to go into. Um, not a lot of opportunities in Russia. Um, and just politically very dreadful. Um, uh, yes. Uh, so, you, but uh, you mentioned that this was in Luxembourg. This was in Luxembourg. Yeah. So there was a. So uh, you must have assets outside of Russia. So it was, yeah, and part of it was because of after dealing with Gazprom, essentially after there was like raids on his office with like guns trying to like yeah. find information. He had three cars following him at all time. When I was young and I was in boarding school, I remember I could, like, the news that I could get was only from, like, you know, uh, online news, like, what is going on with, like, their trial, their fight, because he couldn't speak on the phone, he couldn't speak on the, uh, th- via the email. Um, you were, you were gonna, where were you, St. I was like, then, or? Uh, this was a uh, faith through St. George's, yeah. Oh, wow. And then I remember, like, uh, even, even, uh, when we were with him, uh, we were in his office and he would turn up the TV noise loud and like tell us in whispers like what is the development what is going on because they had everything bugged kitchen Kitchen, uh, the kitchen dialogues yeah it was kind of very similar like they tried to bribe his driver you know uh always were following him like i mean it was intense and it was good because of fortunately because of his connections from the past like they didn't go after him in a way that like would have been life-threatening mm-hmm. but at the same time you that can imagine sound, like for us it was scary because it's very harrowing yes. yeah and i think that was part of the also the reason why he was glad that we're in the states where you know they can't use us to mm-hmm. try to like force his hand or something like that uh yeah i'm also glad about that <laughs> <laughs> glad, I'm, I'm very glad uh, so overall though he's fine now that he came out relatively unscathed from the thing yeah i mean aside from like you read in the in that uh, column, like yeah, he was forced to sell it at fraction of what it is right now. The, right now, the company that he founded, which is essentially now like Putin's personal piggy bank, is worth I think like thirty two billion dollars. Uh, it was the first well, ONG. Then. It was actually <laughs> he was working with the U.S. government because he was trying to actually. Uh, it was the first LNG built in Russia that he, he was building, and it was going to be going directly the to the United States Liquid Natural Gas Station. Oh. Uh, so it's in Russia. There's a lot of laws on who can sell, transport, uh, and uh, you know pipe the natural gas because obviously Gazprom has a stronghold in that. 
and he essentially found that there was a loophole because it didn't account for the petrochemicals, which when you liquefy the natural gas, it's uh, it's one of the cleaner like fuels. As you know, I think in DC, all of the buses run on liquid natural gas. Um, Great. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot more efficient. Uh, it does take a little bit more I energy to liquefy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he essentially had talks that time with the the Bush administration to, um, for for United States to become the main importer of like that natural gas, uh, and uh, it was actually their talk was like by twenty thirty all the cars in America would be at least running on part on liquid natural gas, huh. and so when that gas from no because <laughs> gas from saw that they were like who is this guy that owns essentially the largest like privately owned like natural gas field in uh the world and he's not even a member of like the party mm-hmm. and they went after him and uh you know thank god that my dad is also a man of principles so he you know he could have he could have taken an easy route and just been like oh sure here let me align with the government like uh, join the party do the whole like hip hip hurrah for everybody but uh it's a, very, it's a blessing to work for you yeah, exactly. Like hard. give give them the gift. Uh, but he he's a he's a very principled in that sense, and he was just like no, like that's clear. That, that much is clear. Uh, does he come to he come to visit you here? Often? Yeah, he actually came uh, for the first time in four years uh, this past November, and then he came again in December, which was amazing because mm. I haven't left the country in five years because of visa status and i just didn't want to risk it i got my o1 visa right when russia decided to invade crimea and i was like well i don't want to go back and risk somebody being like oh well we're not letting you in and, maybe not yeah, yeah and I, I it was just like you know i have my uh, uh my dog here my wife here like i'm not i'm not like risking any of that and like not being Dude, able to come back yeah, particularly the like dog. Said, but you before, oh, because right? he's a child. He's a child. <laughs> <laughs> she she might be able to manage a couple of months without me. I don't know if he can. <laughs> She's probably like, ah, oh, vacation. Sure how are you different from your father? Actually, I would say the primary thing that I, I think is different is because of how we grew up. Like, he's always been used to... Um, you know, seizing what is his right away. Mm. Whereas I'm much more diplomatic. And I think that kind of comes, you know, generationally. Um, I I don't think, you know, we, we can possess that same like hunger or that same, like that's boomer nonsense. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, you know, but to, to me, it's a, for me is like my main impact is I want to change the world. And he has that too. He's a very much, you know, the kind of person who is like, this is what this is what he used to tell me and my sister, which I love. He still does. Said, you know, kids, when I'm dead and I'm, uh, you know, being judged by God, won't be judged by what I did on this earth. It will only be if my ch- are your kids better than you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. That's not a lot of pressure at all. <laughs> but it, but to me, that is he kind sounds, of he sounds Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, may, I do mean as a compliment in this, oh, in of this course. instance. Of course. Oh. <laughs> I don't think you can call somebody Jewish and not make it a compliment, let's be honest. It's happened, right? <laughs> I've been on I, I, hear, I hear the, the news sometimes. Every now and then, there, there are people who don't like us. Um, the, 
Uh, how are you, uh, you? You mentioned you have a twin sister. Yeah. Uh, what is she here in the in the states? Yeah, she just uh, moved to New York. She lives in Brooklyn. Um, just a, literally a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy. She works for a consulting company. Um, she is probably one of the kindest people I know. Uh, she's the kind of person to, who hates receiving gifts, but like giving them to everybody and everything. She likes ma- everything special. She is very hardworking. The only, you know, and, and she, but she gets she gets very upset about you know what is going on in the world. Like, and I mean, yeah, understandably, yeah. Like for her, Me like, too. oh, I. <laughs> we were talking about populism earlier, but God, yeah. I I don't know where we're headed. It's scary, but no, she's a, she's honestly I think one of like the angels on this earth. So if you're ever if when you go back to New York, Dave, when you go visit New York, you guys should definitely meet her. I love you. She's a she's an amazing person. I have um, so we're gonna uh, we got about ten fifteen more minutes. I have some uh, some more questions. So I have some sort of some random questions. Perfect uh, to finish up. Uh, one thing, uh, so I, you know, you and I have both been to Nexus a lot, and uh, I mean, I've both been, um, both been willing to like get interviewed uh, about our situation. Um, I think, uh, though, a lot of people in similar situations are are very wary about that sort of thing. Uh, I actually, I remember the first time I went to like a like next gen donor event. It was a uh, in the Jews only thing. It's called the Grand Street Summit. Yep. Uh, and I went there, uh, and I remember someone asked me, "Dave, are you out at work?" And I was like, I'm, I'm a heterosexual. I don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and he's like, no, I mean, do they, because I was working in a fundraising department at a nonprofit. And they're like, do, you, do they know that, that you have capacity to, to also make gifts? Uh, and and I remember, it never really even, that hadn't even occurred to me at that point. Uh, I, I, at that particular job, no, I, I wasn't out. Um, because I was, I mean, I was like low on the totem pole there, and I was just trying. You don't to want to appear like, like you're I was trying to do my job and stuff. But actually, like it was funny. After that, I, uh, I, I became my starting with my most immediate job. After that, I, I've been pretty open about. It. I noticed you. I mean, you're willing to let Vanity Fair uh, interview you, and even more, uh, even a bigger risk, you're willing to let Dave Moss <laughs> interview you uh, with with microphones running and everything. Why, what do you? I mean, what what's different about you that makes you willing to talk? Well, it kind of goes back to my criticism of Russia and what is going on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's part of the fact that people are too afraid to be out in the open. They're mm-hmm. afraid to openly uh, support opposition because they're afraid of whatever, like, attack might be. They're afraid yeah, to... So that's but it, but even, even like, they're afraid to even, like, give to charities because they don't want to appear like, oh, like, look, I'm giving. So it's like, it puts them into, like, that certain category. They like to do everything kind of underground uh, covered up and to me that was always kind of the big stopgap to people being more open and doing trying to change the country right like you kind of have to lead by example uh, in a way and it might not be a big example but even being open about it and just like I said speaking uh, doing it not like hiding it because yeah it's, it's also great when you're you know to quote Larry David you know Anonymous, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's great. But the thing is, people also need to, I think, kind of see who is, who is out there, and not be, not just think, oh, it's just, uh, you know, these people who are, uh, either, you know, unknowns in the crowd or, uh, 
doing that because that's their their life work or whatever. But just like anybody, people from my socioeconomic class in Russia, like uh, who are yes, their fathers or mothers are uh, bigwigs, but they're not afraid to express themselves. I mean, that's huge. If yes, very powerful. If everybody did that, you know, you you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have the problems that we're having now. Mm-hmm. Because I think seems- so. Yeah, I firmly agree with that. One of my favorite Latin expressions that I can't remember. <laughs> In Latin. <laughs> it's like, come locor, something. But it's uh, uh, to listen, to learn, to speak. Essentially, like, if you don't do all three, yeah. you're not, you're incomplete. Absolutely. Uh, you have to say what's on your mind. And we have, and this is something we have here in America. Uh, you know, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, this is certainly a sensitive topic, but like, you know, there was, um, and this will, this will air in a little while, but, uh, um, it's actually kind of an evergreen topic. Uh, there was a, a, a shooting this week, right? And generally, every time there's a shooting, there is this rush to say, like, you can't politicize this. Or, like, no, this is a political... Like, how, well, how am I going to make... How am I going to... How could I possibly advance this issue if I'm not allowed to talk about it, right? Yes, this was horrible what's happened. I don't think anybody deserves to be shot. But at the same time, like, that guy advocated for laws that made it possible for him to get shot. Yeah. How am I... How can I... How do you expect me to not bring that up? Uh, and you know, we have lots of people who are talking about unity, and I don't really, I don't necessarily want to be unified with some of these people. I think they're evil, uh, and uh, you know that that you know there is this sort of sense that you and I, I get it from my own mother. I think my, she would very much like for me to shut up and go get a job at a you know a nice quiet place, <laughs> nice law firm. <laughs> well, they, they, so they are professors. And I think yeah. They, were, they I, I have, I'm very similar to them, and I think it would have made a lot of sense for me to become a professor. Oh, I can totally see years. you as an English literature. Uh... Or a rabbi, or whatever. If it weren't for the time, I Hebrew. <laughs> I can just picture you with a with a ja- with a plaid jacket and yeah. just like uh, I have several. <laughs> looking as you, as you speak, like looking over at the at the pretty uh, sophomore in the second row. <laughs> uh, and a, a decent amount of beard stroking, which yeah. I still get to do. You don't have to be a professor for that. Uh, my dad is a big beard stroker too. It's all right. how, how else are you supposed to have thoughts? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I assume Alex is doing no thinking at all. <laughs> he said that was unfair. He's not allowed to speak, so <laughs> can't defend himself. <laughs> uh, what did your uh, parents want you to do? If they could have picked a job for you, um, it's hard to say because my dad has always been saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, but it's long as you're happy doing it and you're doing it to the best that uh, you can be at it mm-hmm. that's what matters mm-hmm. i mean i think just like any parent he wants stability you know so mm-hmm. this the the banker lawyer uh those types of jobs which always have the 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 resources and kind of the foundation of stability around mm-hmm. them but at the same time he's been supportive in Mm-hmm. everything I've done. And what is it that you're doing now? So I actually run uh, a company, a startup, uh, that specifically deals with crime reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, I found it after one of my friends got uh, robbed on the college campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turned out that she was one of six people who were robbed. Uh, it was right outside of University of South Carolina campus. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even though... It was all reported to police. The guy was... Nobody received notifications. Nobody found out anything. And so more people fell victim yep. to it. And to me, that kind of raised this whole thing. I 
couldn't understand how in today's world where everything is automated, how we can't communicate directly to each other and with the police on these issues. Mm -hmm. And so I started the company, Soder, uh, which essentially provides a platform for co-sourced crime reporting. We're planning to launch our pilot in August, Mm -hmm. inshallah. But, uh... (laughs) You're launching in August? Uh, yeah. Oh. Our pilot platform, thank you. But uh, it's a... You know, part of it is, obviously, you know, the It's On Us campaign. Yes, Uh, (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that I also hope people will use it is having that crowd uh, mentality for protection. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if you're seeing a guy leading a a girl who might be uh, slightly inebriated away from the bar. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what the intentions are. But if you, say, snap picture, and even, like, ten people in the bar see it, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, maybe one of them is a friend, maybe one of them is uh, just somebody who walks up and says, you know, do you know her? Are you taking her home? Is she safe? Mm-hmm. That is enough to just prevent at least, you know, a portion of uh, yeah, these crimes can, that happen. You can and do prevent sexual assaults that way. Exactly. So, so it's a big part of trying to, like, introduce preventative measures. It's also to help expediate your know, communication with uh, between uh, authorities and uh, people who are reporting mm-hmm. because right now if you call 911 you know even if you're trying to report i don't know drunk driving they're going to ask you for your name where you are can you meet with an officer to talk about it by this mm-hmm. time the guy is like fleeing and you're like well what the hell was uh, the purpose of this <laughs> yeah i haven't enjoyed most of my calls no it, it's so hard <laughs> it doesn't make any sense right Oh uh, yeah, no. I mean, I got uh, to be, I got assaulted in DC, 14th and U, a few years ago. Yep. Punched right in the face. Uh, they arrested the guy. Uh, they let him go the next day. He didn't, obviously, he never showed up to his court date or whatever. Uh, and after that, I remember them being. I was like, "What are you going to do about it? I mean, you know where he lives. You're going to go and arrest him." They were like, "No, we're not going to do that." They know this is a, a known violent criminal. They know where he lives, and they're not going to. I don't know. It makes I, no sense. No, but I think it's what I uh, we we with it's on us. Uh, we chose uh, college campuses uh, for a very specific yeah. reason. These are little microcosms, and it's very easy. To, it's much easier to change the culture there. Uh, and like so, once you get, you get the seniors on board, basically, or that cool kids, and then it's it just trickled down, right? Yeah. The opposite too. That's, that's how rape culture started. Yeah. At some point, some somebody thought it was okay. Yeah. And then the freshmen look up. They look up to those seniors more than anybody else. You get those seniors to say the opposite, and then you need of course, opposite. especially in organizations, when you when you normalize that it's. Mm-hmm. And now, and the, now those kids, those some of those it's on us freshmen are now out in the world, and they are they are they know what consent is. <laughs> exactly, and they and they educate they other they people, are, and, and they, they and they will be the ones who stand up in the bar and say, yep. "Where are you like, are yep. you are you going to take her home safely, yep. or do you have something else?" It's not difficult to make that sort of thing seem cool. Yeah. Right? In fact, it, it was a pretty impressive accomplishment for them to make rape seem cool because it's like the least, it's actually the least cool thing in the world. But you know, kids are very impressionable. I was once very impressionable as well. It's also this macho bravado type thing yes. where it's like. Yep. Oh, look, well, I slept with her. doesn't matter that, like, how I did it, but <laughs> score for me, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's disgusting, but... Yes, absolutely. Well, that was a, uh, one of the privileges of my life to, uh, to be able to work on that. Uh, we've got uh, just a few more minutes. I want to ask one more question. And then, for fairness, I'll read my the thing they wrote about me. In yes. The Chronicle. So what is the biggest problem that you think philanthropists can, re- can realistically solve in our lives? Take your time. One. (laughs) Honestly, I I would say uh, 
actually probably human rights. Really? And I, I and I do honestly believe I think basic um, human dignity for everyone. You think we can do that? I, I'm not saying uh, basic human dignity because that's a much larger, you know, that's kind of reaching into s- er- eliminating poverty and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, human rights afforded to all is something that can be achieved. Mm-hmm. And you see that and that the, the, the part of the world that is pushing back against is the same ones that are pushing against, you know, the Western globalization where uh, it might be like traditions that are not necessarily like, you know, like the... Uh, genital mutilation in some tribes and stuff and they're like well it's our culture mm-hmm. but I think part of the western culture that comes with the globalization is essentially let's make sure everybody's afforded same rights and that's why I don't think it's a western civilization I think it's just earth civilization mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I do think it is happening I think right now we're in this huge pendulum upswing where we've swung very far to again being like oh globalization doesn't work EU sucks NAFTA sucks everything sucks and maybe that's what needed to essentially collapse it and swing right back to yeah. where we're like, okay, well, we tried your way. You Let's try a right. complete... Try your craft solutions yeah. again. <laughs> so, and, I, and I do think, you know, you can actually see viable results because especially among young people, everybody who's coming out in Russia, in, uh, uh, in Europe, in, in Philippines, all those people, they're like, well, I don't care if... Uh, if you're a gay, if you're a woman, whatever it is, like, l- sometimes it's kind of like that simplistic of, like, live and let live, but for so many of those countries, like, I remember how, uh, you know, homosexuality was viewed in, like, the 2000s in Russia among, like, young people. That's mm-hmm. a huge progress when you're like, well, why should we bother them if they don't bother us? Mm-hmm. They might not necessarily, like, have the same views as, you know, the people marching for equality here, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's it's still huge progress. We were pretty bad on that. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean... I grew up in Maine, where it was, I mean, it was a very homophobic place. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, and, and that's changed. Now, it was the first state to legalize marriage. Yeah. Um, it's, some pretty, it's some pretty solid stuff. So I know you've got to go to your next meeting. I, I will read my, I'm going to read my... Um, yes, please. Uh, what they wrote about me, I'm going to ask you to, because um, one thing in particular I want you to comment on. Uh, so this was a few years ago. Uh, Dave Moss is only 33 years old, but he's already helped donate about $5 million fourth generation philanthropist family I don't know where she got that from <laughs> you're like it's fifth by the way <laughs> might, I think everybody I don't, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know five generations ago you might have been anyway the fourth generation philanthropist family has given major gifts to institutions like Brandeis University Colby College and the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum growing up he helped his grandmother with her giving and he has since been involved in grant making and fundraising and nonprofits like the Slingshot Fund the National Youth Rights Association and the It's On Us campaign Last year, Mr. Moss created the Unfunded List, which critiques startup nonprofits' rejected grant proposals, distributes a list of the most promising organizations, and suggests alternative sources of funding. My Rolodex is, has significantly more currency in it than my bank account, Mr. Moss says. That's the only time anyone's ever called me Mr. Moss. Uh, in most settings, Mr. Moss's story would be exceptional. Right? I think it's exceptional in all settings, but... Uh, at a recent Washington gathering of the scions of some of the world's wealthiest and most influential families, he was just another face in the crowd. <laughs> but uh, I'm really happy that she, that the one quote she used was, my Rolodex is significant, has significantly more currency in my bank account. Um, like, the, this is actually, this is true for everybody. Gates can call Slim and Buffett. And those guys have a lot more yeah. money. Right? And there's a lot more other, there's a lot of other people you can call. So how do you work with, with other folks of similar opinions and similar views? 
Well, Mr. Moss. <laughs> you go to Nexus, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, Nexus is a big one. I try to stay involved in uh, Boston affairs, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously the Next Gen crowd, mm -hmm. um, uh, the Social Innovation Forum. Mm -hmm. um, I also, I do try to, uh, you know, there's a TUG, uh, Tech Underwriting Greater Good, which is a Boston-based mm -hmm. uh, philanthropy that essentially enlists VCs and tech companies around the area to... Um, you know, go to events, meet people, and just give back to the community. Um, Excellent. Also, a big part of is, you know, it's it's a little things where you just volunteer like a little bit of your time, like the big brother, big sister. I'm I'm a huge believer. Are you a big brother? Yeah, I'm awesome. a I'm a huge believer in uh, awesome. education, okay. affording every kid. Like to me, if you know how I am on federal spending, but if yeah. I could just gut the budget and take everything from unnecessary programs and just dump it all into education to make sure that every mm -hmm. child has the same opportunity until uh, no yeah, matter amen. what. That's, yeah. That's I, your folks say. I would, I would, uh, <laughs> I believe your folks say that too. <laughs> Some of them. It's a more of a, ah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, or even, even, you know, uh, going to the Red Cross every six weeks and giving blood or play to listen five times. Thanks. Yeah. So it's just it's a, it's a little stuff that you know. Oh, it's a, on my way back from work. I just stop by the center, sit there for a little bit, and but it saves lives. Like they constantly are having a shortage, and to me, it's like first of all, it makes me feel American because I'm like there's at least a full body of me flowing through somebody's veins right now, and and, and the second, it's like <laughs> I know they should just give citizenships based out on that. Yeah, I mean you seem American <laughs> enough to me. If I were handing out citizenships, you would get one. But yeah, so it's, it's little stuff like that, and then obviously just being surrounded by people who who are like-minded. Yep. Like I said, that's part of the reason why I love coming to Nexus, and I just to, mm -hmm. you know, hear people speak or, you know, give updates on what they're doing is to meet like-minded individuals mm -hmm. and too. collaborate, yeah. Uh, will I see you there next month? Of course. Uh, great. Well, uh, thank you for inviting us to your Thank you uh, for having me on your podcast. Uh, and um, I look forward to seeing you next month. Have a good afternoon. My man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Open Door Philanthropy featuring Victor Bogachev. And as always, if you're looking for or willing to provide helpful and candid feedback on unfunded grant proposals, please sign up at unfundedlist.com.